With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Everyone, welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup, and this is part two of your week eight fantasy preview show. On part one of this preview, our crew covered the Thursday night game plus Bucks, Saints, Titans, Colts, Niners, Bears, Jags, Seahawks, and Washington, Denver. Today, we're covering the remaining nine games, and I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Doherty, and Denny Carter. Guys, I learned listening to part one of the preview that we are officially in energy conservation mode. So pre-show banter is officially canceled. Just want you to know that I am on board with this. I will say nothing here. You guys say nothing. I'm thinking maybe five seconds of silence and then we move on. It was uh, It's always a good idea to start the show saying I'm tired. But nonetheless, here we are. Always as much energy for every single show. We're just at the point, especially during the fall, like we're slowly getting to winter as well. And golf season's getting taken away from me. Uh, I'm just going to get more and more depressed as we go along. But nonetheless, here and very happy to be here. I mean, my favorite part of the show is the is the banter. And this, is, this is devastating. I'm just daydreaming about what I'm going to put in my metaverse. Um, you know, maybe a, oh, maybe a stuffed God. bear. Uh, you know, just the possibilities are endless. They they are. And it's the best way to connect with it people. It is. <laughs> From what I, from what I've heard, connect with people through a fake universe. This is this is quite a galaxy brain situation. And there's one thing I've learned since the dawn of the pandemic is that I don't desperately yearn for human connection at all. Yeah, see, seeing you guys at the uh, fantasy football expo was definitely not the highlight of my year. I don't I don't know what you've heard, but that's not true. Backtracking to Wednesday, I will say I greatly enjoyed the image of Daigle. I think Pat, you said Daigle's just not moving. I thought he was frozen. I, I actually really I really did think image. he was frozen. Then I saw him blink, and I'm like, oh no, his internet's fine. Uh, we just uh, we sit still until we're required to talk and then we burst with energy and then we go right back to being a hermit. That's, that's the type of season we're having right now. All right. I'll keep that in mind as well. And I I think there's no real obvious place to start for me as far as the early games are concerned on this 1 PM slate. So I think we start with America's team, the Falcons hosting the Carolina Panthers. It's uh, Atlanta favored by three and over under 46. We saw Kyle Pitts with his second straight explosive performance last week. Seven catches, 163 yards. Falcons offense, dare I say, is almost starting to border on the verge of being intriguing. Uh, Pat, where do you have Pitts ranked this week? A week with no Darren Waller, no Mark Andrews. And which tight end or tight ends would you rather have moving forward? I mean, I have him ranked as the tight end too, which I don't know if that's point chasey, but... As you said, he bookended the Falcons' week six by with a pair of 100-yard games. 
The stat that I just can't get over from week seven is that five of his seven receptions were for 20 plus yards. His shortest reception was 11 yards and you barely get that kind of downfield production from receivers. You never get it from tight ends. It was against two bad defenses, two like spiraling defenses, but it's kind of what he has again for week eight in the Panthers. The Panthers are getting some defensive reinforcements team. You know, he's put a lot of pretty dangerous stuff on film. I mean, I, I know teams are already throwing a lot at Kyle Pitts, but you have to imagine like the game planning intensity will be ratcheted up another notch in him. But I just think it's another great matchup. He looks, I mean, kind of as advertising, basically uncoverable. Like for a guy, he, he's not moving the way like Kelvin Benjamin moved. Let's put it that way. For a guy this big, he is moving like a total freak. And I mean, I would rather have Travis Kelsey, of course, still. Uh, maybe rather have Mark Andrews. Uh, I mean, he's so consistent. But I mean, no one at the the only person who does anywhere close to this kind of ceiling at tight end is Travis Kelsey. I think Pitts has already established the second highest ceiling at the position, and it's hard to see how he's going to fall in the top three or four. And for the Falcons' offense as a whole, out of the buy encapsulated their identity. It's what they've been trying to do, and then I believe they finally figured it out. Pitts with a 20% target share in three consecutive games now, and a season-low eight snaps in line as a tight end this past week against the Dolphins. Leads all tight ends and yards per route run in his last three games as well, and has run around on 93% of Matt Ryan's dropbacks, in particular as a receiver as a whole. And the Cordero Patterson we also saw behind him, season high in snaps as a wide receiver out of the bye, with 35% of his offensive snaps coming from out wide in Atlanta's last two games. Hence why Mike Davis's share of backfield touches sunk all the way to a season low, 19%, just four carries this past week and so slowly the falcons are figuring out who to use and what to do to be efficient the uh i, I say the, the pits breakout continues unabated uh this week against a panthers uh defense that has given up a i should say tight ends against the panthers have seen a uh 24.5 percent target share uh that's the second highest in in the league through seven weeks like john said the uh pits is route running on Ryan's dropbacks is elite. He also, over the past two games, and I know it's a little bit cherry picky, I get it, because the last two games have been quite good for Pitts, but he's seen an elite 29.2% uh, targets on his routes. Uh, I should say uh, targets per route uh, over over those two games. Uh, the Panthers stand no chance at, at stopping him. I mean, I guess the question is, is is he a tight end? Does that does that still, does that jive with, with what we're looking at with a tight end matchup? I, I say yes for now. I think it, it continues into this week. He should be listed at quarterback, I think. Uh, with Daigle made a really good point with Mike Davis. So this was coming out of their bye with the Falcons last week. We know we can kind of like overread into what teams do coming out of their bye, but it's always like a statement game. You had the week to adjust. And as like Daigle said with Mike Davis, he had four carries, four total touches. His previous season low for carries was nine. His previous season low for touches was 15. And he got out touched 16 to four by Cordero Patterson, who Daigle said was more involved from like a routes perspective. He flukily caught his fewest passes since week one, but back to back weeks before and after the bye with 14 carries, the, the rushing usage is going up. The receiving usage is going to come back. I mean, it didn't go anywhere. And I just, Austin Eckler just keeps coming to mind for me on uh, Cordero Patterson, even though he's twice the size of Austin Eckler. As you can attest, Matt, they're even putting Patterson in on short yard situations. They literally use him 
all over the field as a chess piece on every down. They use it anytime there's a high value touch in the backfield, he gets it. It doesn't really matter what the situation is. If it's an important snap, he gets it. I mean, by comparison, Mike Davis looks like just a guy. I hate to say it. I mean, Patterson just is that much more explosive as a player and that much more versatile. So I, I just, yeah, this is clearly here to stay in terms of usage. But what about Calvin Ridley? He turned 10 targets into four catches, 26 yards, and a touchdown. We keep waiting, Daigle. But he still hasn't had more than 80 yards in a game all season. We've talked about this Falcons offensive environment maybe finally taking shape. So is there hope for a ceiling game against Carolina? And even last week against the Dolphins wasn't really a reason to panic. Um, You mentioned 10 targets and 25% target share and now has double-digit targets in four consecutive games despite not really getting there in the box score just yet. So I would believe so against the Panthers, yes. Uh, I am not panicking on him just yet, and I'm actually excited for both sides of the ball in this game. With Ridley, too, I think it's very important that Calvin Ridley's had these past two games and He's going to be now like almost like a Julio Jones level of defenses having to commit resources to him. And that's going to allow a lot more space over the middle of the field for a route technician like Calvin Ridley. And you have to, you have to assume the breakout's coming, as I say, uh, for the next 10 weeks in a row, as it doesn't happen. And his, I, I, I agree mostly with, with what you guys are saying about, you know, don't, don't panic too much on Ridley, but cut his mic, his yard, but listen, his yards per target and his air yards per target are way down from what we've seen in his prior usage. That would be great if they could start using him more down the field. Um, it would make me feel a lot better about starting him week in and week out. But the volume is there. Again, I, I don't see him ever this season, at least, having any kind of league-winning upside. But he probably won't destroy your team from here on out. Denny, I'm going to send this back your way. The Panthers scored three points on the road against the Giants last week. I'm not sure if you heard. It actually didn't go well uh, for Carolina. Looking at this offense and and what a just mess it's become, other than DJ Moore, can you start anyone with any confidence? I mean, the Falcons' defense we know is not good, but uh, the Panthers' offense is worse. Right. I mean, yeah, no, you can't start Robbie Anderson. I don't think with any with any modicum of confidence, you, you can't even really start Chuba Hubbard, even though uh, Matt Rule and the coaching staff talks incessantly about establishing the run. You know, they're they're not like most teams that talk about establishing the run. They're not going to be in a position to do that very often. And this week, of course, they're on the road. They're underdogs. Once again, they just got dominated by one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, you know, a, a runaway Falcons victory with that would that surprise anyone here? You know, I. I it, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. So in, in that, you know, in Hubbard. It would kind of surprise me. Yeah, and, and Hubbard, it would? It would surprise you? Yeah, I mean, the Falcons aren't, I mean, they're still like, you know, messing around with the Dolphins. I don't, I haven't seen anything from the Falcons. That, like, they messed around, start, all right. They're going to start like burying teams. No, they're not, maybe not bury. But, but my point was that Hubbard is not uh, exactly game script independent, which, which could be an issue here. If you don't like 16 touches for 56 scoreless yards from Chubb Hubbard, man, I just don't think you're an American. That's old school fantasy football there. You know, we it was old school from Chubba last week. And I, mean, I, I just think, I mean, you have to start Chubba just because 15 is the touch floor. Like you said, you know, Matt Rule again, you know, like angrily like pounding the table to the press <laughs> that they have to establish the run. Uh, and so we just know the touches are going to be there. And it's just kind of one of those like hold your nose and like take your medicine RB2s, I still think. Uh, for Chubba Hubbard. They're going to run it 40 times in a uh, 17 point defeat. I will say, I think it is a good spot 
for Sam Darnold, though, uh, as, as wild as that Uh-oh. seems, as I continue oh, trying to wrap my head around potentially starting him in DFS this week. I don't know if I have the courage, but we've seen in the last month in particular, awful against pressure, completing 47% of his passes, 4.6 yards per attempt, and three picks. But here's the thing. The Falcons create pressure at the league's lowest rate. So if he's standing upright, can he achieve success from a clean pocket without poorly played recently? I actually would like to bet on it because we've still seen DJ Moore lead the team in targets, just failed to get there because of how poorly Darnold has played, and also the Robbie Anderson conversation. It's not an issue of Robbie Anderson's usage. Nine and a half targets per game in Carolina's last four without Dan Arnold and Christian McCaffrey, and Anderson has also run around on 93% of Darnold's dropbacks in that span. And so they're both out there as the target tree continues to get concerted to only two players. Uh, it literally just comes down to can Darnold play well with a clean pocket? And um, not sure I'm going to bet on it just yet in DFS, but in season long, I can think if you're still hanging around to him because all the good streaming options have been swept up or in two quarterback leagues, I still have a little bit of confidence in him this week. I was going to say that I think Darnold kind of has to almost be limited to DFS galaxy braining right now. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. it's just like a little too in season long. I'm begun to rank him like as someone at risk of like weekly in game benchings and I could see like the ups, you know, if you're making like lots of lineups, you know, obviously in DFS, I can see more of like the galaxy brain Darnold take, but in season long, I feel like you know, the penalty could be very, very high for streaming Sam Darnold. Season long, there are a lot of good streaming options this week um, between like Trevor Lawrence still available in all leagues. Daniel Jones is an awesome start against the Chiefs defense. Even Teddy Bridgewater and Jameis Winston have cases against the the Bucks in Washington. So that's the issue. But I'm still in enough two-quarterback league. Superflex is where I've Darnold, and um, I'll probably still start him this week. I have to say, I, I felt like the Alonzo morning gif when you just talked about Darnold because you said, oh, I don't, you know, I'm thinking about Sam Darnold. So I go, oh, God, oh, geez, John, what are you doing? <laughs> and then you say, oh, league's worst pressure rate from Atlanta. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Well, yeah. that, you know, that that makes sense. So now you've, you've triggered my galaxy brain. I'm all in on Darnold. Well, this same Falcons D just allowed Tua to complete 80% of his passes for <laughs> 291 yards, four touchdowns. QB one day in week seven against the Falcons. Speaking of the Dolphins, they head to Buffalo, where the Bills are favored by 14, total of 48 and a half. When we last saw these Bills in week six, there were big days for Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, and Cole Beasley, who has been hit or miss. Uh, Daigle, what does the absence of Dawson Knox do for this passing group for you, for these receivers? Does it make Beasley a more reliable option? Is there any real ripple effect here for you? And the last time we saw this game earlier this year in week two, uh, Josh Allen was struggling to complete passes under pressure, and the Dolphins did blitz him at the 10th highest rate in week two and are now third highest on the entire year. The good thing is Allen has regressed and been a better passer under pressure over the last month of the season. But what I think will happen in the fallout, maybe they just plug in Tommy Sweeney, who uh, will be their primary receiving tight end. They also promoted or at least signed to the practice squad, Cahill Waring as well, former Texans great. But overall, what I actually think will happen is that we're going to see a lot more 10 personnel. And so we're going to get a lot of Cole Beasley, like we saw on and last week before their bye against the Titans, when he had his highest target share since week three, um, ran his most routes on Allen's dropback since week one. I also think we're going to get a sprinkling of Gabriel Davis. They'll dust him off for this game because that is the better option than going with Sweeney a la Dawson Knox's role. 
And so uh, Beasley, Davis, and deeper leagues, I have utmost confidence in. It was off the top of my head. I kind of thought too that maybe Emmanuel Sanders would get one or two more downfield opportunities. Like Dawson Knox been kind of put in position to make plays down the field, and maybe that'll be Emmanuel. But that's just uh, total off the top of my head. Sweeney is a decent like desperation streamer, probably. But you know, we're, we're not talking about a one for one replacement for Dawson Knox. Just just for those who are picking him up, thinking, okay, well Knox is out, Sweeney's in, and Sweeney caught that touchdown. Uh, I think against the Titans. So. That let's you know pump the brakes a little bit on expectations for Sweeney. It's I think it's Cole Beasley season again. If Denny tells you to pump the brakes on a random tight end, you I mean th- that's this a is serious. Listen, <laughs> listen, I, listen. I, I'm selective. Get off, get off the boat, get off the boat. Sorry, go ahead. I'm selective on my sicko tight ends. Okay, and Sweeney's not one of them. He has four receptions for four yards on four targets. Pretty remarkable. Uh, one of them was a touchdown somehow. Uh, so very remarkable stat line so far from Tommy Sweeney. The Bills leading rusher back in week six was Devin Singletary with 27 yards. Denny has Buffalo officially packed up and abandoned the run for 2021. Uh, you know, just when you think they, they, they're they going to, they come into a game as 100-point favorites against a, just an, a dead-on-arrival team. And... <laughs> and and it, it makes you think it makes you think oh you know how can they not run it how you know but then you know you look at a little further into it and by you i mean me and and the and the dolphins are a pretty strong pass funnel defense and that feeds right into the bill's strength so you know i think that it's still like pretty risky to start my i see a lot of chatter on twitter it says you know lock in moss he's he's a great play he's a great Great floor, great ceiling, this and that. I don't think. I don't think so. I think that you're we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit on on Moss. I will say it could be like the closeout mode case is strong for Moss, but fourteen and a half feels pretty crazy, or thirteen and a half, whatever the spread is right now. It's kind of totally insane for like a divisional matchup like this. And like the Dolphins are bad, but they're not like the Houston Texans or the Detroit Lions where they have like no talent on either side of the ball. And I do wonder how much the closeout mode game script will actually develop. But I also find it hard to believe Zach Moss won't get at least 10 to 12 carries. And unfortunately, running back right now, that kind of immediately punches your ticket to like the top 36 and even like the top 30. And running as many routes as Devin Singletary, 24 each, the last week before they went on by, like it's still just a timeshare. We've seen the past two games for the Bills. Moss has been the RB26 and the RB40 because he hadn't scored a touchdown. That's what was getting him by previously before that was that he was scoring touchdowns. It's amazing how that works. And so to me, he is still a low-end RB2 on a good offense who is still touchdown or bust to ever finish inside the top 15, top 18. Otherwise, like the touches are not good enough to get him there. But that's fine because of the landscape. We can still start him. Here's something extremely frustrating for me, especially, is that the uh, the Bills running backs, Singletary and Moss, have splits high value touches exactly down the middle over the past three games, 50, 50. So it's really, really difficult. And high value touch, of course, is a reception or, or a, a carry inside the 10. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation to parse. I guess you're just banking on Moss being able to bleed the clock late in the game, but the bills don't really do that. So when it comes to running back frustration, there are a few who have done it better, I would argue, than Miles Gaskin. Uh, last week, 19 touches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Pat, we don't dare against the Bills, given this spread, do we? Do we dare? I mean, you just you just got to save yourself the agony, right? What do you do? Where do you have him ranked? 
No, we do. We go. He's kind of like in the high-end flex mix because the three-man committee has been cut down to two. Malcolm Brown is, I believe, on injured reserve. Uh, Miles Gaskin, for all the chaos, has remained pretty consistently ahead of uh, Salvan Ahmed, and he's been the preferred pass catcher all year. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, they're not going to be able to establish it in a game where they're two touchdown road favorites, or at least we wouldn't believe. I think it's going to be one of those – the Dolphins have already had several weeks like this. It's going to be one of those weeks where a lot of their backfield touches, if not most of their backfield touches, are going to be receptions. Uh, the Bills do – I don't know, like, how, like, instructive this stat is. The Bills have allowed the fewest running back receptions. They've only allowed 19 running back receptions in six games. I, I don't I don't quite remember, like, what kind of pass-catching backs they faced – so that's a concern for Miles Gaskin, but I feel like the only Dolphins running back uh, attribute you can like rely on this week is Miles Gaskin's pass catching. That'll be enough to get him kind of in that top 30 mix. At least four targets in all but one game this year for Miles Gaskin. That oddity performance in which they basically said, we're not going to play you at all out of nowhere. And we saw once Malcolm Brown exited after five snaps this past week, Gaskin handled a season high 19 touches to sub on Ahmed's nine. Gaskin also with all three running back touches inside the 10. And so if we are painting negative game script against the Bills in this matchup, I think it would primarily be Gaskin anyhow, but we also know his skill set as a receiver trumps Ahmed's significantly. And so overall, like, yeah, I have I have a lot of confidence in him actually in PPR leagues, especially since the Dolphins have shown with Tua now averaging uh, 43 and a half past tens per game with three and a half carries per game and his last two starts since returning from injury that they don't really want to be a one running team. They want to drop back and see what Tua can do as Jalen Waddle essentially being their primary running back. Uh, Gaskin saw uh, five targets in when these teams met in week two, he caught four of those just for the record. Next game is the Steelers at the Browns. Cleveland favored by three and a half, a total of 42. Danny, we saw a pretty significant letdown for Chase Claypool before the bye, just as things were starting to look up for him. Just two catches, 17 yards, did have seven targets. How do you feel about him this week? I believe he practiced in full on Thursday. He did. And I think that that's pretty big news that he's back to a full practice. Uh, Hopefully there are no setbacks. Obviously Claypool's Friday practice status will be worth monitoring. If he's a full go, I think that, you know, the juju less Steelers offense provides him, should provide him more slot opportunities, more targets. You know, he thrived in the game where juju went down with that injury. uh, Not so much after, (laughs) but I, I do think he was hobbled by, by that hamstring issue um, kind of coming in and out of the game, clearly not comfortable, kind of gutting it out. So let's let's see what happens with a fully healthy Claypool. I, I still am bullish on him going forward. Yeah, we hope that really pads his targets floor, the Juju uh, injury. And, you know, too, they're going against the Browns team. Denzel Ward has injured his hamstring yet again. Uh, Browns have some other defensive injuries to monitor. So it could maybe be a sneaky good uh, setup for the Browns. Or, or not, or excuse me, for the Steelers passing attack. Ben's still completing just 28% of his passes on 20-plus yards downfield. So Claypool's still raking in the prayer yards there. But overall, like as the more explosive player over Deontay Johnson, who has double-digit targets in every game this year except one, that uh, that two-target game where he also had a long touchdown catch earlier against the Broncos. Um, overall, yes, I, I am excited to see what Claypool can do without Juju Smith-Schuster. We also saw before the Steelers' bye that Pittsburgh ran a season-high rate of dual tight end sets and thus that allowed Pat Fryermuth to record season highs and snaps and targets, 
25% target share against Seattle. So with Eric Ebron surprisingly getting added to the injury report on Thursday, I was already high on Fryermuth, but I will become significantly higher as a fringe tight end one if we also see Ebron surprisingly get scratched for this game. Sorry, but whoever wrote the Ebron blurb was brutal, by the way. Just, just, just extremely mean to Eric Ebron. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it's sounding like the Browns may get Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb back this week. Daigle, does the Browns offense line up for you to have optimism for anyone other than Chubb in season-long fantasy leagues right now? It's basically the backfield, like you said. Uh Dearness Johnson performed admirably. I didn't even know a player with a 4.840 could cut that well. But uh, his vision was actually outstanding. Evan Silva compared him to Alfred Morris, and it makes so much sense as a slower running back, but also just one who understands what to do whenever he's given the gaps to run through. And so last week we saw Dearness Johnson handle 24 of 31 backfield touches for the Browns, but this is still Nick freaking Chubb. And so with 10 days rest, with Chubb practicing as early as Monday, getting ahead of Sunday, I think we do get at least 90% Chubb here. And so thus, I will still be leaning on him against the Steelers as a strong RB1 option, believing that he will have no limitations, barring any surprising news tea leaves over the weekend. And yeah, I think that is the one person I can count on. Other than that, I would go to Jarvis Landry, who still led the team in targets and sounds like he's going to play no matter what. I trust him to play through injury since his routes are just different than Odell Beckham's, who also may play through injury in this game. Any thoughts that Dearness Johnson is going to eat into Nick Chubb's workload is misplaced. Last year, uh, Dearness Johnson had a nice game after the Browns lost both of their running backs, picked up on a lot of waiver wires. He did well. People thought, okay, well, you know, he's going to have a role in this offense. And that that did not materialize. Uh, uh, as you may remember, Kareem Hunt came back, dominated touches. I think Nick Chubb uh, will be, you know, way, way more valuable than he usually is because uh, Kareem Hunt is out with that injury and, and he could absorb some more routes and some more targets. Next up is the one we've been waiting for. Eagles at Lions. Philly favored by three, a total of 48. Pat? Nine targets for Devontae Smith last week, produced five catches for 61 yards, hasn't scored since week one when the incredible Falcons secondary uh, let him break free into the end zone. (laughs) Where do you have him ranked in, I mean, what on paper is a really good matchup against Detroit, assuming Jalen Hurts can uh, get him the football? I mean, you just joked about the quality of this game, but this is actually the second best game of the week. Um, So uh, the joke's on you. Uh, that was supposed to be a joke about how bad the games are. I wasn't joking. I was being dead serious. I, I am tuned in. I'm dialed in. I'll be watching this one start to finish. I mean, it's getting harder and harder to keep the wide receiver two faith on Devontae Smith as we begin. We just watched the Jalen Hurts black hole suck in all the fantasy points and this offense. But, I mean, this seems like a tailor-made spot for Devontae Smith to finally get back on track. I mean, the Lions, the opposing quarterbacks complete almost 70% of their passes against the Lions they average 9.5 yards per attempt. The Lions is like overall pass yardage against like isn't that great cuz teams run against them so much cuz they're always playing with two score leads. But we don't you know we don't think the Eagles are going to be building like a two or three score lead against the Lions and we might finally get Devontae Smith and this Eagle. You know a lot of guys capable of making big plays in the Eagles receiver core Quez Watkins and even Jalen Rager could get a lot of big play opportunities against the Lions defense that when you actually attempt to big plays against them will gladly surrender them. So it does feel like maybe the spot is finally right for Devontae Smith to kind of have like a, a high end. We're not ranking him as a high end wide receiver too, 
but like a setup to finally kind of like get his fantasy season back on track. So Pat Corain was uh, said it best last week when he, when he called Detroit's defense a fake run funnel. It's not. Teams destroy them through the air. So, you know, Smith could get his this week. Miles Sanders is considered week to week with that ankle injury. Denny, I know you talked with Pat about this earlier in the week. Where do you stand now on Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott after perhaps doing some more digging or not doing more digging? Yeah, I have. I have done more digging uh, for that is my job. And uh, Jordan Howard is going to be activated. And I know that that's a joke. Everybody, oh, no. yeah, oh, oh, Jordan Howard. It's funny. The, the Zoomers don't remember this and that, whatever. It's, you know, it, it's going to be a factor. You know, he's he's going to be active. The, the Eagles could give him enough work so that it destroys any any fantasy uh, potential for Boston Scott as the primary early down guy. Kenneth Gainwell will certainly maintain pass catching duties out of that backfield, which, which is good, which makes him a solid PPR option. I think with Sanders out, whatever, but you know, as far as, as far as starting Scott as some desperation move, I think the Jordan Howard activation is, is an issue. I, and I, I don't know if you guys agree. It definitely speaks more to, I think Kenneth Gainwell kind of being a trap play, who, you know, they had pivoted so hard off of him the past two weeks after they gave him, you know, the opportunity to take work from Miles Sanders. They apparently weren't happy with the quality of the work. And, and Miles Sanders had completely dispatched him back to the bench. And then definitely a troublesome sign. We, we consider Kenneth Gainwell to be a third down back, but you still don't want Kenneth Gainwell to get out carried uh, by Boston Scott. And so that that was just very concerning. That's what I'm curious to see what happens uh, with Sa- with – Boston Scott and play some Miles Sanders in this game because maybe they give Scott early down carries. Scott also handled three of the team's four backfield touches inside the 10-yard line in the interim once Sanders left. And so overall, while I still think Gainwell is just a fine play, again, given the landscape of the running back position, we need these touches. But overall, like in most games, the Eagles will be trailing because they're a bad team overall. Uh, this game is not one of them. And so that's why I'm curious to see where early down carries goes in a game that the Eagles should have favorable game script. And I will say, even with like uh, the, the, like Boston Scott, even with thinking Kenneth Gainwell will be the primary third down back, it's not like Boston Scott can't catch a pass. You know, he was kind of uh, famous, you know, like under the radar, like change of pace, pass catching back, like folk hero, you know, pop up for a few weeks every now and then in the past few seasons. So if he like gets going on early downs at all, it wouldn't be shocking you know, to see him remain in the game on some third downs because he's not like some guy right. they just have to yank out of the game in pass catching situations. I wanted to mention about Gainwell. He, he did see a carry from the seven or eight yard line last week uh, after Sanders had exited and he was tackled just short of the goal line. So I think this conversation maybe would be a little bit different if he had, you know, punched it into the end zone there. You said he did see a carry. I thought you were just going to like rave about the fact that he got a singular carry. He got a carry last week. He got one carry. What it, what else do you want from your fantasy running back? Uh, we'll also say exactly what we expected from Dallas Goddard in place of Zach Ertz. I understand mm-hmm. like the box score, no touchdown was involved, but overall just to play season high, 93% of snaps have a 14.7% target share and run a route on 88% of Jalen Hurts dropbacks. That's exactly what I, what we want as elite thresholds from our, from our fantasy tight end. So there will be top six outlooks and performances in this future. We're contractually obligated to ask a Lions question. So here it is. Khalif Raymond Eight targets, six catches, 115 yards against the Rams. Daigle, is this uh, potentially a thing? Perhaps so. Uh, it was odd to see 
Amon Ross St. Brown. I guess I shouldn't say odd because it is Amon Ross St. Brown, but just weird to look up and see him not accrue a single target. I mean, it sounds crazy. I never actually went back and confirmed this, but I think he was on Jalen Ramsey Island. Like, I think he got like a huge dose of Jalen Ramsey, wow. and that was the reason for the donut last week from Amon Ra. Totally fair. Um, but we have seen, at least in the past five games, uh, Khalif Raymond has accrued at least a 15% target share and four of those five. And so it seems like he is still the most trustworthy option among the wide receivers, even though the trickle down has still been DeAndre Swift first and foremost, and then TJ Hawkinson whenever he's healthy. Hawkinson also got into practice on Wednesday and Thursday midweek, which has been unusual for him. So still confidence in those guys. But more importantly, for just Swift to come away with a season high 27% target share this past week. Um, everything going well still for him as a top six, top seven PPR running back for the rest of the season. And I will say Jamal Williams popped up in the injury report Thursday. He's added with a thigh issue. So that's something to monitor for Andre Swift. And Khalif Raymond, too, he got some like he got some very receiver-friendly targets last week from Jared Goff, where they kind of like hit him in stride. They were trying to get him with a head of steam. And he produced some pretty nice yards after the catch with it. So Khalif Raymond, he, he's top 50 live. Did you just say receiver-friendly targets and Jared Goff in the same sentence? Yeah, I mean, you know, these were like six or seven yards beyond the line of scrimmage. These were not downfield targets, Matt, but yeah. All right, I'm just checking in. Uh, four games down, five to go. First, we're going to take a very quick break. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. The NFL season, meanwhile, is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday Night 7. Predict what will happen between the Cowboys and Vikings on Sunday night for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Next is the Bengals at the Jets. Cincinnati favored by 10.5, a total of only 43. That's probably much more of a reflection of what's going on with the Jets, which we'll talk about in a second. As for the Bengals, we know where things stand with Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, and Jamar Chase for the most part. I would say the most perplexing guy on this roster for fantasy purposes right now continues to be T. Higgins. Uh, 15 targets last week. It only turned into 62 yards. Pat, I think you may have been upset with me a minute ago when I when I said that about Jared Goff and Khalif Raymond, but coming back your way, is the T. Higgins explosion coming? 
I mean, I don't know how you can necessarily have an explosion opposite Jamar Chase just because he's just getting great manned down the field. That's really just what's happening with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, where he's understandably Jamar Chase is getting all the truly deep targets and he's, you know, just rocking them. He's, I think, by far and away leads the league in percent of his yards that have been generated on targets 20 plus yards down the field, almost 50%. He's almost 750 yards, by the way. I think it's like 380 of them have come on targets of 20-plus yards. So just absolutely feasting down the field. And it really is kind of like why would you involve T. Higgins down – even though T. Higgins is a very uh, viable, competent outside wide receiver, probably even a well above average one, it's just the other guy is just so good. Um, But like the 15 targets, that was very good to see. You're like – we know that I, if we're going to get eight to 10 targets between T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, like T Higgins can do more with them than Tyler Boyd. And I don't know if like say the explosion is coming, but I think like the stabilization of T Higgins, probably like that wide receiver 24 to 30 range is coming. And it really is going to be kind of like Tyler Boyd who might just kind of get stuck in like Cole Beasley land where some weeks the game plan will call for a lot of intermediate or like slot type targets. And he can have like an eight or t- 10 catch game, like pop up every now and then. But I think like the wide receiver three stability that we had for several years out of Tyler Boyd is just kind of gone because they just don't need to go station to station like that right now. To that point, we do have five full games now with T Higgins and he actually leads the team with a 26% target share compared to Jamar Chase's 22% and Tyler Boyd's 17%, a significant drop off. Chase also, what is happening is he's just soaking up all the targets downfield, like Pat said. Uh, 16 of Burroughs' 27 targets, 20-plus yards downfield, have gone to Chase. And the next closest is T. Higgins, but that's only four. The Chase is 16. So Burrow just looks one direction downfield, which is why Chase has been so explosive. Having said that, the Bengals should never be laying three scores against any team. And you cannot tell me the upgrade downgrade from Zach Wilson and Mike White is significant. So I still think the number 10 and a half is pretty off, to be honest. T Higgins, on T Higgins real quick, his 4.9 yards per target is enough to make you want to quit fantasy football because it, it, it's it's really, and don't do that, by the way, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's truly baffling for a guy who can make downfield plays. I don't know if it's because of the injury or what, but man, this, he is, like John said, it's Jamar Chase or bust down the field for the Bengals. And so, yeah, the volume's nice. 15 targets. Unbelievable. Didn't do anything with it. I guess if the volume keeps up, he 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 can produce, probably will produce. He is, a, he is a good player. He commands targets. That is a skill in itself. But that yards per target number, man, that jumps out. I, it's, just, it's nothing T. Higgins is doing. It really is just I think Jamar Chase is that good. And if you can choose, like, why would you choose T. Higgins? Maybe if he starts getting bracketed, Jamar Chase – he has to like start literally choosing T Higgins, but it's just like, why right now with the way these guys running, would you waste those targets on anyone other than Jamar chase? And I, I know we're going to talk about, by the way, Mike white though, with the jets, I think we might get some very powerful Geno Smith in, uh, energy this week from Mike white, who came in and looked like surprisingly competent and relief duty. But again, that was because like Bill Belichick, he probably had to like put his hand over his mic and be like, who the hell is Mike white? And you know, it's so, like no clue like what was going on there. And the Bengals uh, have now had the luxury of game planning for Mike White. And I think we're going to see Mike White getting driven through uh, basically the crust of the earth this weekend by the Bengals. To that end, our NBC Sports Edge blurb said the entire Jets offense can be avoided in week eight. I ask 
though. Uh, what about Michael Carter? 19 touches, 104 yards in that 54 to 13 loss. I mean, if Carter's doing that in a game where they're getting shellacked, I mean, eight catches, I think. Don't we feel pretty decent about him, Pat? We do. I mean, both Michael Carter and Ty Johnson set a season high for receptions last week, and that's clearly going to have to be the recipe for the Jets' backfield. It's going to have to get kind of get on the Dolphins' plan, and establishing the run is not going to really – maybe they'll try to establish it early to take some pressure off Mike White, but we think that Tevin Coleman's not practicing as usual, of course. Mike Carter has the advantage on the ground over Ty Johnson, but both should be involved as pass catchers. But I think Mike has the advantage as a pass catcher. He definitely has the advantage as a rusher. He's flex live this week. We, we can get Michael Carter in the top 36 at running back. I noticed you calling him Mike. Are you are you buddies? Yeah. You, you know him well? You know. I, I I've never heard him call. Anyway, I call him Michael Carter. I don't know him. And and I, I will say that. I'm on a group text with the Jets running backs. Uh, by yeah. <laughs> That's a sicko thing. He, he ran a route, Michael Carter, on 60% of the Jets dropbacks last week. That's a big increase from what we've seen. That should keep him, like like Pat said, flex viable this week. Denny, a minute ago, you said it's uh, Jamar Chase or bust downfield for the Bengals. I noticed you left CJ Uzama out of that sentence. Uh, is it? I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you a platform here to, to quickly share your thoughts on the Bengals tight end. Sometimes you write up a tight end. You write so many words about a fringe tight end play, and you publish it on NBCSportsEdge.com. And you get lucky with two long catches for two touchdowns on three targets. So we're not we're not chasing the Uzama production. Okay, don't don't get don't get too excited here. Yes, the Bengals are passing more. We like to see that. That's good. But you know, again, pump the brakes on this particular tight end. I have other sicko tight ends that I can mention later. He Uzama uh, has more than three targets in just one game all year. Right, and it, yeah, it's like it's like eighty percent of his catches are touchdowns. So yeah. I, I don't I don't think that's sustainable. You got to, you know, you, you got to stay away from CJ Ozama. I guess this elite Jets linebacker core, you know, just got to stay away from him. Well, so I was trying, I was trying to say maybe you could actually chase some CJ Ozama points. That's a very confusing way to say <laughs> to say that he might actually be good. I like to speak elliptically, Denny. The Rams are headed to Houston, where they're favored by fourteen and a half, a total of forty-seven and a half. Darrell Henderson had a great opportunity on paper against Detroit last week. It turned into 18 touches for 64 scoreless yards. Daigle, do the good times get rolling again here in another great spot on paper for Henderson? Oh, yeah. I'm actually quite shocked that Daryl Henderson failed. Um, still played 88% of the snaps, handled 18 of 20 backfield touches, was just genuinely it put in perfect position outside of scoring a touchdown. So we are not worried about Henderson whatsoever. We're going right back to him and DFS and redraft leagues. And genuinely, it's just a, a start your guys. It's a start your Rams kind of week, especially as their team total has increased throughout the week to a to a week high weight rate as well. And um, it's going to be Van Jefferson, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, I'm sure we're about to talk about, Daryl Henderson, Matthew Stafford. They're all viable this week, especially if Tyrod Taylor's available on the other end. Because remember, Taylor actually helped push the ball, averaging 9.4 yards per attempt for the Texans, beating the Jaguars in week one as well. And so like, there could be a little pushback. And if we get pushback at all from the Texans for the Rams offense, that's going to be awesome for all the Rams players. Now the, t- the Texans have the blueprint for how to almost beat the Rams. It's you convert two fake punts, <laughs> you recover a first quarter onside kick, and that's kind of what happened to Daryl Henderson last week. Is this, The game script didn't develop. The Lions – last week was like the Lions Super Bowl, basically. They put everything they had in the game. They quite literally pulled all the stops to keep it just you know even competitive for three quarters. Of course, they couldn't do it for four, but that's – Daryl Henderson – 
he's going to go stratospheric this week. He's not going to he's not going to blow this do over against the Texans. Cooper Cup, who you just mentioned, Daigle, weeks four and five were actually quiet by his standards this season. The last two weeks, he's now combined for 19 catches, 286 yards, and four touchdowns. Seven games, he's at 809 yards with nine receiving touchdowns. Denny, does game script concern you at all in this one, or is that just overthinking it when it comes to Cup? No, yeah, it's overthinking it. I mean, look, the Rams are going to score a lot of points. The Rams are Pats. DFS, I mean, by the way, mainly. Sorry. I mean, when it comes to DFS, I guess is what I really meant, obviously. If you make it doesn't matter if it's a GPP or if it's cash, the lineup starts with Derrick Henry and Cooper Cup, then you fill in the rest. This is why Pat's a, a leading DFS mind. <laughs> so that's, that's how you play daily fantasy. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Um, yeah, sorry. So did I don't know if I misunderstood the question or not, but but it, it uh, you know, you're feeling you're feeling great. The, the the number of targets and the number of targets per route run that Cooper Cup is seeing is off the charts pat crane wrote about it this week i believe it'll be in his friday column where it's it's stuff we've rarely seen we're talking about prime andre johnson sort of target domination we're talking about deandre hopkins prime domination De- Devonte adams these are guys you don't think of when you think of cooper cup usually and, and but but you we need to start thinking that way he's he's going to do it no matter the game script cups 190 fantasy points through week seven are the most since the NFL merger. The next, the last closest to him was Marvin Harrison in 1999 with 187 fantasy points. Absolutely wild what he's doing. And in terms of DFS too, it's just annoying because he's literally broken five slates out of seven. And uh, I, I think I have rostered him all of none time. So it's been a uh, frustrating year because he's been a player you essentially have to have. But in looking at trends saying no one could sustain like a league high target share, uh, he continues sustaining it. So I don't know what it drop offs. I have no idea if it ever drops off. So it's frustrating. But also if you drafted him in fantasy, like he is the wide receiver one. And right now he is a top four option in 2022 fantasy drafts among wide receivers right there with Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and Jamar Chase. Dagle, this is why I'm guest hosting Building Blocks this week and just saying it doesn't matter how unique you want the lineup to be at the beginning building block is Cooper Cup, folks. And the Cooper Cup, by the way, and the other crazy Cooper Cup stat, first receiver since the merger to have 800 yards receiving and nine touchdowns through his team's first seven games. So he's just – He's a, he's a rocking it. Yeah, Denny, you said a second ago, you don't know if you misunderstood the question. I think that's because I sat down to write a Cooper Cup question and I truly didn't know what to write. Like, it, it's so bizarre. Like, what are we, what are we seeing? Yeah, no, it, it, it really <laughs> crazy. is, um, you know, borderline historic, his, his, his domination through seven weeks. It's a secret U.S. government weapons program. And the media Cooper won't Cups talk about it. 2021. It's, it's sad. You won't. Looking, uh, look, looking at this Texans box score from last week, this, uh, it's almost... It's almost amazing in the opposite sense. I mean, truly, there was you line by line. There is no fantasy value anywhere. Even Brandon Cooks, who you know now has forty-seven yards or less in three of his last four games, he's been the one guy in the circle of trust. It feels like he's hard to trust now. Uh, what do we do? I mean, there's talk that David Johnson may be featured, but that's hard to say with a straight face. Pat, I mean, it, it's it's uh, everybody out of the pool, right? When it comes to the Texans. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, Jalen Ramsey does not shadow the way he did in Jacksonville, like the way like we like the, we associate like the the stereotype with Jalen Ramsey in our head. He's all over the field now. He's quite frequently in the slot, but I mean, Brandon Cooks, uh, you have to assume is going to see a lot of Jalen Ramsey in this game, one way or another. So that's one real negative variable for Brandon Cooks. The positive variable 
is the return of Tyrod Taylor, who Brandon Cooks had by far his best game of the season with Tyrod Taylor in the lineup. It was against the Jaguars in week one. Like Urban Meyer, I think it showed up to Jacksonville the day before the season started and hadn't really like even met the players yet or anything like that. So that might have had something to do with Brandon Cooks' week one. But the upgrade from Davis Mills True. to Tyrod Taylor, even though Tyrod Taylor is a league replacement level player, probably below sub-replacement level at this point, is still like a seismic upgrade. And you can't – and Brandon Cooks, is he's very upset. He's tweeted, this is a joke, after they tw- traded Mark Ingram. So we got the angry narrative. And, I mean, Brandon Cooks, hard to see. There's no way he'll catch fewer than five passes. It's just like a matter of if, if he can do anything with them. I believe Jeremy. it's still all roads to Brandon Cooks. Uh, Mark Ingram does have more than 50 carries over the next closest running back, Philip Lindsay in Houston. But also, you don't want – Texans carries that's the thing and so you still want the pass catching option and that has been consistently David Johnson which is why if you're choosing among these guys that's the one you would pick especially in what we believe to be a showcase week ahead of the trade deadline this would be the one week actually they just give him all the touches and allow other teams to watch him uh also Philip Lindsay has been horrific this year he was and kind of always has been, except for his rookie year. I sorry, I digress. But you're right. Uh, he's uh, he's second on the team behind Ingram, behind the departed Ingram. He's, he's fine. He's just in New Orleans now. Uh, it uh, <laughs> was second on the team with 38 carries. He's averaging two and a half yards. Philip Lindsay's averaging two and a half yards per carry. Uh, he's dustier than David Johnson somehow. I don't know how, but he is. So yeah, I know. I don't think that the Ingram trade means much for Philip Lindsay as far as fantasy goes. I, I think it means way more for David Johnson. Still not a lot. Still doesn't mean a lot. It, mean, it means something. Also, look, we're on to sicko plays. I have to mention this because it was in my target my target Dakota column. The Texans tight ends are interesting. I'm just putting it out there. Okay, oh, no. I just I just want to say it. I just have to say it. I have to be on the record. Wow. Check out my target Dakota column. I'm not going to waste our time here today. The darkest moment in the history of the NBC Sports Edge Slack ever was when Denny asked for a picture of Pharaoh Brown. Pharaoh Brown. That's just, that was the darkest moment ever in the history of our Slack. It's a low point in CJ Uzama's life, too, because Denny was like, stay away from that guy. Let me tell you who yeah, you want to right. look at. Let me tell you about a good play, Pharaoh Brown. No, I mean, but seriously, check, check out my column. It's on. It's online. Did you uh, mention Adam Trout? I did. In the column? I did. He okay. did actually. He pivoted to eventually featuring a Troutman photo, I believe. Yeah, no, even. Okay. Because, because we talked about the Saints <laughs> without you yesterday. So, uh, where do you have like Texans tight ends among Adam Troutman? Like Troutman ahead of them? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tra- I think Troutman is a is a much better play. You know, I, I was reading uh, Nick Underhill. He reported last week that, and I missed this, that uh, uh, the the Saints really looked into working Adam Troutman into the passing game more, and and he's seen a season high in uh, pass routes the past two weeks. I know we're not talking about the Saints right now, but it, it's good news for Troutman. It was the, again, we said it on the last week's or the other day's preview show, go check that out in your archive, but it was the most routes he's run since week one when they were passing the ball more. Um, so it seems like with James Winston averaging 32 and a half attempts per game the past two games, they are trying to pass more this week, another good passing matchup. Anyways, on to the next game. On to the next game is the Pats at the Chargers. Chargers favored by five, a total of 49. This is an interesting one, guys, because the Pats scored 54 last week, albeit against the Jets. The Chargers, before their bye, had that complete dud where they only put up six against the Ravens. Denny, do we just throw that one out? Was was there anything there that you saw or that we saw that uh, made us concerned moving uh, forward for this LA offense? No, yeah, I think you need need to throw that out, especially, you know, like... um, 
Austin Eckler is is definitely one of those performances you need to just forget about. You need to get the Men in Black uh, memory zapper. Haven't they rebooted the franchise by now? No, they did. That was like eight years ago. So Zoomers yeah. also never heard the reboot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm completely out of touch. Um, uh, so Eckler has six. Uh, I'm sorry, seventy six percent of the team's high value touches this year. That's the third highest rate in the NFL. The third highest high value touch percentage in the NFL. So we're not we're not worried. Uh, that game was a, a dumpster fire. I'm I'm not fretting about it. I will say with Justin Herbert, kind of some like weird inaccuracy in that game, which we're not worried about going forward. But so basically, the two worst games of Justin Herbert's career were before the Chargers bye in Week Seven against the Ra- Week Six against the Ravens, and last year against the Patriots, where they famously lost forty-five to nothing. And he was not quite ready for what Bill Belichick had cooking for him. But even though, even in the context of struggling for the bye, even in the context of Bill Belichick erasing him from the face of the earth, Justin Herbert, this team just can't run the football. So Justin Herbert has not attempted fewer than 38 passes all year. And with a guy who has not attempted fewer than 38 passes all year and has Keenan Allen and Mike Williams at his disposal, he's in the top 12 no matter what. We've also seen speaking of the wide receivers, that prior to week seven when Mike Williams tried to play through that knee injury, was clearly banged up. Keenan Allen, to that point, had totaled two more targets, 58 to 56 to Williams, but also had five fewer touchdowns. And since we know the Patriots have struggled in particular against slot receivers, uh, I do think it's a a pretty great opportunity for Allen to right the ship. Also having full confidence in Williams, who presumably will be back at full strength following the team's bye. Then you talked about memory loss with Men in Black. I have a more timely uh, memory loss reference for you. Memento, the, uh, if you yes, remember that. The, the Zoomers oh, definitely yeah. know that one. The, the Zoomers do know Chris Nolan, but... Right, that's that's more timely. It's uh, 20, 21 years ago. Yeah, that's... Uh, <clears throat> good job, Matt. See, no one knows the movie, the, the Chris Nolan movie from last year, Tenet. Uh, he actually he put out a movie during the pandemic for some reason. Saw it. No, I never, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Saw it. Yeah. Extremely confusing. I've never heard of it, even though I'm talking about it. That's a six-hour podcast. If you want to, you know, sidebar this, Pat, we could just sit down and try to figure out what happens in that movie. Well, it's every Christopher Nolan movie confusing. is six hours, so that makes sense. <laughs> exactly, minute by minute through the movie. The Pats, as I said, scored 54 last week. A big game there for Damian Harris, who I imagine we are starting with confidence against this run funnel defense. Uh, but Daigle, any other Pats you like in this matchup? I'm I'm obligated to mention that it's a revenge game for Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry will be the one, especially after Jonu Smith got injured this past week. We we don't know yet his status. But overall, I genuinely just think it goes down to the uh, backfield. And I'm curious to see if the Chargers use the bye week wisely to shore up their run defense after the 2010 All-Star roster of Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell <laughs> ran all over them. So, or had yeah, ran all over them. So uh, so overall, though, we saw among this Patriots backfield that Damian Harris still handled 16 touches without Ramondre Stevenson, who was healthy scratched. And J.J. Taylor did score a touchdown, did have 10 touches, but I would note that seven of those came on their last two possessions in that blowout. So I actually, in a non-blowout situation, think it would be all Damian Harris with Brandon Bolden still playing James White's role because that's what he's done since week four whenever White was injured. Uh, Bolden actually in that time leads all running backs and red zone targets because he is James White. He's being used in the same way, except he's not as explosive. Just this past week offering like serviceable RB2 production for PPR leagues. But overall, if we expect the Patriots to trail, like I don't think grasping at straws for Bolden is is the, the worst move we've made. 
it's not and just so Brandon Staley is really he's stretching like fading stopping the like not caring about stopping the run and running the ball to its breaking point because the Chargers far and away allow the most yards per carry in the NFL almost five and a half yards per carry and they allow 15 more rushing yards uh, than any other team uh, per game in the NFL so it would be really interesting to say like John said if they uh, found any fixes for that during their bye when the analytics go too far. Am I yeah, right? It's just true. Am I yeah. right or am I right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, one thing about H- Harris is that, you know, New England comes into this game as r- road underdogs, five and a half point underdogs. You know, he still is game script p- d- dependent, sensitive, however you want to say it. So if this game kind of gets a little bit lopsided for the Chargers in the Chargers' favor, you know, Damian Harris could, you know, lose out on a lot of second half touches. And that, that would obviously be good for Bolden. But if they can keep it even close, like neutral game script, I think it's it's all it's an all Harris game. Mm-hmm. Like he 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 has a lot of upside here. Sunday night, if you guys are ready to move on on NBC, it's the Cowboys at the Vikings. Cowboys favored by one, a total of fifty five here. And before the bye, we saw the Cowboys, you know, get into a game where Dak Prescott finally had to pass a bunch of times. Fifty one pass attempts led to big numbers for him and C D Lamb in particular. So Pat. Uh, cautiously, we think maybe, do we think that things could start to open up for this Cowboys passing game, assuming, of course, that Dak is going to play? We say a few things. The the Vikings are horrible against the run and really good against the pass. They've only allowed seven passing touchdowns in six games. So that'll be one kind of weird variable for a Cowboys team that we know like exploits your weaknesses, uh, like game plan to game plan. They're not doing the same thing week to week. But yeah, we can't take, as of Thursday afternoon, we cannot take Dak Prescott's status for granted he held court with reporters on thursday and stopped like right. well short of saying he was gonna play um he said it's not up to him he said he believes he could play if it were the playoffs he'd be playing but you know that it's a long season it's up to the training staff it's up to the coaching staff so on and so forth he said they're going to decide by saturday morning before their hotel walk through the cowboys and so we just don't it's a little hard to like make your cowboys plans right now because I mean, I think I would say it's 70 30. Dak Prescott is going to play, but they are six and one. They are a Super Bowl or bust team. I actually do think they'll exercise caution and maybe not play Dak Prescott. So before you like spend a lot of time like hand building your DFS lineups, I would I would wait, hold off on the Cowboys and projecting the Cowboys. I got I got so many teaser legs tied to Cowboys three and a half. You tell me they don't play good good Christ. Uh, anyways, though, Dalton Schultz the past month does have a twenty four point seven percent target share without Michael Gallup, and Gallup is reportedly eyeing a return. Like he's at least trying to get back for this game. That doesn't matter so much for Gallup's value if it's not Dak Prescott under center. We can barely get Cooper and CD Lamb there consistently. So just imagine throwing a third receiver in that mix. But I would imagine it would take away from Schultz, uh, even though I would still rank him as a low-end tight end one, and we'll see what happens whenever Gallup is at full strength. It actually helps if Dak, if Dak doesn't play. I think it helps the running backs quite a bit, and for this here, Tony Pollard, because in that case, they would lean on the running game. And so uh, I would not worry about Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott so much, but the wide receivers would need to be slightly downgraded if Dak's not under center. It is, John, I think they will like lean on the running game, so to speak, but this 55 over under, I, mean, I think they're going to be leaning on like the entire offense. I think you can count on that if Dak plays that. It's a week where almost every Cowboy gets home. And let, it's going to be weird. It's going to be like hand-to-hand combat between Dalton Schultz, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup for targets. And another variable, Amari Cooper was really banged up for a while. He said now he's as healthy as he's going to be all season coming off the bye. And I guess it wouldn't surprise anyone if Amari Cooper is 
pops up for 10 to 12 targets, double-digit targets the first time since week one. But just a lot of variables right now in this Cowboys offense. You mentioned the total being 55. Uh, that It started at 53, so it's, it's, it's gone up. We're, we're, we're banking on Dak playing. Dak, if you're listening, I mean, I know it's a long season, but I mean, this is a really important game. I mean, you need the tiebreaker against the, you know, checks notes, the Minnesota Vikings. You really yes. need the tiebreaker against the Minnesota Vikings. So, Dak, I, I would play if I were you. Got to have it. Pat, you also mentioned uh, holding off on you know getting Dak and CD Lamb into your DFS lineup. It's going to be a tight squeeze with Henry and Cup already in there, though. I think <laughs> That's true. trying to yeah, get those guys in. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Really, really good point. On the Minnesota side of things, Daigle, does this look more like a Dalvin Cook game to you, or a Thielen Jefferson game, or perhaps given the total both? I think it's all concerted. Recall before the bye that Alexander Madison, even in dealing with that ankle injury before the bye, they decided to play him, and then he showed up and was awesome. Uh, handling 31 of their 34 backfield touches. Alexander Madison, just three touches in that game. So I would think that Madison, again, is not used whatsoever. Strictly a league-winning contingency player to stash if you have the space, no matter your format. Eight, 10, 12-team leagues. It's going to be all Dalvin Cook, and then it's still going to be mostly... Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. I'm curious on Tyler Conklin's ranks among streaming mm-hmm. tight ends. And fortunately, we have just the person who's probably dug deep into that exact situation waiting to talk about Conklin, Denny. Can you sell me on him? Uh, you know, uh, I wasn't planning on selling uh, Conklin. Um, uh, right now, I'm, he's I'm moved, a fairly... Denny's moved on to totally different, far sicker, far, far sicker tight ends. Tyler Conklin, to me, is like Travis Kelsey at this point. We're, we're, we're looking at, <laughs> at Pharaoh Brown right now. So that's that's where I am. I, I want to say about Adam Thielen, though, uh, I think I think it's a ceiling game for him because, first of all, Dallas is the third most extreme pass funnel in the league this season. And the Dallas secondary has been getting crushed by slot receivers. We had uh, Chris Godman in week one went off. Keenan Allen in week two had basically his only good game of the season. Kadarius uh, Tony went nuclear in week five against Dallas. Jacoby Meyer even had five, six catches for, for 44 yards in week six against the Cowboys. So I think I think Thielen's season is in full effect here. Tyler Conklin's coming off a season high for yardage, but you may, you can't start uh, tight ends against the Cowboys ever since they cut Jalen Smith because as you get a tight end on Jalen Smith, score a 50-yard touchdown profit. <laughs> and as Denny said, the Cowboys – so it's funny. Trayvon Diggs you know, is intercepting a pass every week. He's also like giving up like big plays every week. And the Cowboys get, allow the six most receiver fantasy points. They allow a ton of big plays, like Denny said. And I, I feel like Justin Jefferson, you know, every week he's averaging seven catches on 10 targets. Like he's just crying out for a 150 yard game. Well, with all of that said, is KJ Osborne even in play? He had six for 78 in a score before the bye, Pat. He's, he's probably fairly far down your ranks, but is there a scenario where you'd consider throwing him in here as well. Yeah, there absolutely is. Cause I mean, we've seen him in the games where the Vikings really have to throw. I mean, he'll get seven to eight targets. And yet, I mean, this 55 total, we are projecting, you know, Kirk Cousins is probably going to get to 40 attempts. There's a chance he even gets to 50 attempts. He's almost reached 50 twice this season. And yet the game environment definitely does foretell, you know, wide receiver five, KJ Osborne. Everyone's just, people can't stop talking about it. People can't stop tweeting at me. Can I start KJ Osborne as my wide receiver five? I genuinely don't think it's a bad matchup. Um, you know, maybe Trevon Diggs shadows Justin Jefferson. Maybe he doesn't. But the Diggs hype train of defensive player of the year is like one of the most 
overhyped and wild ones I've seen in some time because he's basically Marcus Peters. Yeah, I was going to say, he's literally like this generation's Marcus Yeah, Peters. like he is Marcus Peters. And Marcus Peters is a good player. He's a very good quarterback. Also, Marcus Peters blows a lot of coverages. Um, Trevon Diggs average, allowing the fourth most yards per catch and a league high 223 yards after the catch to opposing wide receivers. So it's literally just Zach Moss of cornerbacks. He's boom or bust. Wow. 197 of those yards after the catch were to Kendrick Bourne. He, uh, the difference is like when, when we all see him like soak up these interceptions so easily, it's because he's a converted wide receiver, whereas most cornerbacks play cornerback because they weren't wide receivers because they can't catch the ball. The difference is Diggs can. And so that's what making interceptions is easier for him. Monday Night Football is the Giants at the Chiefs. Casey favored by nine and a half, a total of 52 and a half. I don't know if you guys heard this, but the Chiefs uh, only scored three points last week. Mahomes is 5.9 yards He's per done. attempt, the fourth low, fourth lowest in his career, according to our researchers. Uh, Pat, what can we expect against the Giants from this suddenly, uh, suddenly just horrendous Chiefs offense? And there are certain accounts on Twitter saying he's not even a top five quarterback anymore. I don't know if people oh. have been following this, but it's really quite concerning. We just, yeah, I've uh, I've held a funeral for Patrick Mahomes' NFL career. I mean, it is quite disappointing, and you know, last week. So the turnovers have been a thing for several weeks now. Like his kind of like career regression to the turnover mean after you know, kind of like a gambling quarterback had maybe artificially low turnover totals for a few years. That's not happening anymore. Um, but he had been getting home in fantasy essentially every game until last week. And it was it was a, a spot where he should have gotten home in fantasy. I mean, the Titans give up a lot of fantasy points, but the Giants seem like a tailor-made bounce back spot. They haven't stopped anyone in over a month except for Sam Darnold. No one has like individually has an imposing matchup. Now, I guess Tyreek Hill, just wondering like, how healthy he really is, where they've kind of gone all back in or, like underneath Tyreek Hill, and maybe he's just not healthy enough to stretch the field the way he normally does. But this feels like a week where like Patrick Mahomes bounces back and inflicts extreme pain on the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. <laughs> wow, that's that's intense. Sorry, um, I, I can't I can't disagree. You know, and and it feels like if they don't, if they can't against the Giants, just Swiss cheese defense, then uh, there are major problems that probably cannot be solved this season. Like that, like if that if that comes to pass, um, I I don't think that Tyreek Hill is even in the realm of healthy, of fully healthy. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago against Washington, he was bouncing in and out of the lineup. He was in the locker room for a long time, came out. Like, he's an extremely tough player. We've seen that uh, in, with other injuries, but he's not He's not right. And, you know, it, the Chiefs offense is, is so sensitive to a, an injury to Kelsey, an injury to Hill, obviously Mahomes, that something like that can totally derail everything. It's a... It's a major flaw in the way they built that offense. Just to to see them shut down, even though in the loss to the Bills, remember, they still averaged over six yards per play. Offense was just fine. And then last week, literal utter domination from the Titans um, across the board with third string corners because they were also missing two of their starting corners was just the wildest thing to see. The good news is Patrick Mahomes did clear the concussion protocol on Sunday. Reed just said, like, we're getting smashed. You're not going back in. That's wild. And so I do still have confidence in the options you are going to start anyhow. 
even someone like Daryl Williams, who did have eight of the team's 11 backfield touches because they didn't need to run the ball when they're trailing about three scores throughout the game. But yeah, overall, uh, we've also seen the Giants defense struggle as a whole too. And so I think it is a bounce back spot. The turnovers are an issue, league high in turnovers, but also we expect them to stop. Maybe Mahomes has picked up some tendencies that need to be stopped earlier than normal and trying to stretch every play and enforcing decisions. But overall, uh, the efficiency of the offense still stands. Pat, you have now on this episode figuratively hurled someone through the crust of the earth, and now you have the Chiefs inflicting extreme pain. So some real nice imagery from you there. Uh, uh, Sounds uh, like a good day for Pat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Joe Judge is optimistic that Saquon Barkley will practice Friday in week four before getting hurt. He had 126 total yards and two touchdowns. Daigle, how high are you on Saquon's rest of season outlook starting with Monday, assuming that he plays? Yeah, I'm still curious if he's going to play. I'm somewhat skeptical. Now, I will say this would fit his timeline. Otherwise, you would assume they put him on injured reserve since this would be the third game and they could have used that extra roster spot wisely, especially with so many injuries. Um, If he comes back, I would expect something closer to the rate of touches he had in his last three games before injury rather than what he started the season out with very slowly. Um, Having said that, though, I don't know, Pat. Like, I consider him still a low-end RB1 in this first game if he's healthy. And rest-of-season outlook, I don't know. Like, is Cordero Patterson next to him? Is, um like, still better than Antonio Gibson, but I kind of put him, like, in that range. I think he might still get a tier above them, or he might crash the top eight because I just don't think they're going to restrict his usage. They've probably deluded him. Like, his injury was a total fluke. He just stepped on a guy. It wasn't because we were giving him 30 touches or whatever. And in terms of playing this week, maybe plays, he's definitely on the RB1-2 borderline because you would have to assume if they're playing him, it's because he's actually healthy. They don't want to risk further injury in the Chiefs, you know, just allowing like instant big plays. Like you need a big play, you go face the Chiefs. But I kind of feel like with with Barkley, with Tony, with Galladay, it's, you know, it's interesting on a week where they have the day of extra rest that they didn't still didn't practice on Thursday. So what I kind of feel like them returning to practice on Friday is them kind of testing the waters. Like if anyone's like truly like further ahead than they thought, then they'll get to play Monday. But it's kind of all with an eye towards week nine. And if any of them seem healthy enough on Friday and Saturday, them returning week eight is kind of a bonus. And I I feel like they probably genuinely don't know yet if any of these guys are actually going to return. Looking at the Giants wide receivers, you know, are you holding out for Kadarius Tony in season-long leagues and then just having a contingency plan? Like, he was so good before that injury. If there's a, a shred of a chance you he might play, aren't you trying to kind of find a way, find an excuse to get him into your lineup? I guess you I would. can't if you don't know on Sunday morning. I mean, I just I feel like if you don't know Sunday morning, you kind of can't. But I also would agree. I, I couldn't begrudge anyone who's like, yeah, if Kadarius Tony's active, I'm automatically starting him because – the only thing I know about the Giants receiver core rest of season that is when he's healthy, I'm going to rank Kadarius Tony by far the highest. Danny, you were about to comment there? Yeah, I, I think you can, you know, have a contingency plan, pick up another Giants wide receiver off the waiver wire maybe and and plug plug him in if if Tony doesn't go. I know that it's that's really bleak. Like it's a it's just a huge massive it's massive downgrade if if Tony can't play. Right. But I mean, it's Dare I say it's mouthwatering, Tony, against this uh, KC secondary. Yeah, he had three catches for 36 yards in about nine seconds in that game where he hurt his ankle. I think uh, Darius Slayton would be the one 
that falls by the wayside yeah. if all are available. Um, Sterling Shepard, mm-hmm. I would still expect to lead the team in targets, but yeah, I would have the second most confidence in Kadarius Tony, and then um, well, I guess it would be Dante Pettis, right? And Darius Slayton would be on the outside. That's how it would work. I forgot that Dante Pettis is not a mainstay. You got to pick up Pettis as your Tony insurance. Oh no! Or someone else that Kyle Shanahan traded up for and then cut that is on the Giants for some reason. I'll play Pettis if Tony's ruled out. I will absolutely play Pettis in deeper leagues. I will say, John, it's very defensible to like project Shepard to have the target see, but I do think we might just be seeing like a hostile Tony takeover, and it might not really matter. He might just be that. I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills on Tony because. I didn't take him that serious. I, I just didn't study him closely enough, frankly, because of where he landed. I just like wasn't thinking about Kadarius Tony much for 2021. But seeing his live NFL reps, he just has a level of athleticism that very few people do, even in a league full of athletic freaks. I, w- I need to see his practice reports. We uh, we need to take this one down to the wire because um, having already re-aggravated the same foot injury that he initially injured in the preseason, I'm still concerned about long-term injury for him. Yeah, and Joe Judge said that Tony and Galladay could practice Friday. That may mean nothing, but obviously be checking back on NBC Sports Edge. Joe Judge, who always says the correct things. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's the end of our nine games. Pat has already shared his DFS wisdom with Cooper Cup and Derek Henry Daigle. I assume that will be what you're leading off with on DFS building blocks on Friday. Yep, just play Cooper <laughs> Cup. Uh, we will talk about how to play the Rams intricately and then also dive more into the Panthers-Falcons matchup, among others. Who else? Denny, what do you got? Target decoder? Oh, yeah. I have content. I have lots of content on NBCSportsEdge.com, including the target decoder column, uh, where I also offer some hope for Tyler Higby drafters who are frustrated out of their minds uh, through seven weeks. You know, don't don't quite drop him yet. Uh, and I have my kicker column, which is, of course, the most important content we have all week. Check out the rankings. I keep the rankings updated all weekend. Check out John, myself, Denny, and Kyle on a good football show, Fantasy Kickoff, served by Applebee's at noon Eastern on Sunday. And check out Kyle filling in for my uh, Q&A on Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. That will do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. Thanks to all of you for listening and for watching. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks to all of you guys. Good luck in week eight, everybody. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.